that will allow us to then see what our focus is actually in Acts chapter 14 for this week. So if you remember, if you were here last Sunday, we looked at Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. That's the passage where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who, are, uh, who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Remember, we talked about that last week. And, and he says things like, not only come to me, but he says, take my yoke upon you. We talked about that picture of a yoke that's used by farmers for cattle. Remember, and the oxen to, to, to drive the plow. And that Jesus is actually offering to us his easy and light yoke that we would take upon ourselves that. Not that we don't have a yoke that we're tied to, but we are putting aside our selfish desires, the yoke of the world, and we are taking upon ourselves communion with Him in His yoke, that He would then not only lead the way, but He would carry the burden. And so we looked at that. And then He also says in there, learn from Me. He said that because if you remember, those words that he spoke was very simply a call to discipleship. When we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection, and we put, which means we put our faith and trust in those facts to be true, and that we put our faith and trust in it for our very lives, we are now believers But then we are also called to be His disciples. He tells us elsewhere in other calls to discipleship. He says in Luke 14, 27, He says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. Another call to discipleship. It's a call of self-sacrifice of Jesus saying that He needs to be a priority above everything else. Again, the same kind of call to discipleship is found in Luke 9, 22-25. It says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And He was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We know that verse 23 pretty well. But look at what then he says after that in verse 24. We don't often continue that passage. He says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? It is a call to discipleship. Just like last week when he said, come to me and take my easy yoke upon you and learn from me. These are other passages of Scripture where the Lord Jesus calls us to follow him. Remember he called his very first disciples and said, come, follow me. But in this very last passage in Luke 9, Jesus was talking about not only His death, but our death. The death of His disciples. He was telling them, look, your attitude as My disciples needs to be the same as as the Lord Jesus. That our attitude towards our own life and death should be the same as His. 
that he was calling us as his disciples to follow him. But let's remember, where was he going? To the cross. He calls us to follow him. So discipleship is, in essence, a matter of life and death because we give up our life for the Lord Jesus because he gave up his life for us. It is so simplistic, but yet so profound, that call to discipleship. Because he died for us, we are to live for him. But also, we're taught by the Lord Jesus that when we follow him, something's going to happen. It happened to him, and it's going to happen to us. And this is what we're going to see play out in Acts chapter 14. That is persecution. Persecution. He says, if we follow Him, we will be persecuted. Not that we might be. Not perhaps. Not that even it's a possibility. The Lord Jesus said, if you are My disciple, you will be persecuted. But what does that look like in our context? What does the idea of persecution look like for the Christian in America today? Well, in many ways, it looks different for each and every one of us. But when we think of persecution, we often think of what we might see on the news or read about what's happening to brothers and sisters around the world. My family has some good friends who are in the ministry who are originally from Pakistan. And they are here now in the United States for a few years, but they sought asylum because in their homeland of Pakistan... They were very involved in their church, leaders in their church. But one day, after suffering much protest and persecution, their church was bombed. Their church was bombed, and they needed to flee. And even today, they still have scars, even shrapnel still, in the wife's leg. They had to escape true persecution. I remember that they brought to our attention what happened shortly after they came to the United States. It was on September 22nd, 2013, 82 people were killed in a suicide bombing at the All Saints Church, a Christian church in Pakistan. And he told us in a letter, it was one of the deadliest suicide attacks ever on the Christian community in Pakistan. And it was perpetrated by the local Taliban in their community. It was a congregation of more than 500 people who were there on that Sunday morning. 82 people who died. These were people that our friends worshipped with. Some they grew up with. They knew very well and now they could only see them on the news and see pictures of what had happened knowing that they would love to go back and help and support them but because of what happened to them and they had to flee that they can no longer go back to their homeland for fear of what has been said would happen to their family that's still there basically their family in Pakistan is threatened that if they ever returned that they would be killed But you know, I hear these stories 
and we commune with our friends and have meals together and hear these stories and we pray with them for their safety. We pray for the safety of their friends and relatives and all their brothers and sisters in the Lord, our brothers and sisters in the Lord in a country like Pakistan and others that are severely persecuted. But yet, what does it mean to me? How do I relate to that? How do we do that? You know, um, there is this, um, this well-known ministry. It's an organization called Open Doors USA. That's simply their website, opendoorsusa.com. And they put out something called a world watch list. And the world watch list is very simply, here's their website. The world watch list is something that they update regularly about countries that, um, that are suffering from severe persecution of their Christians. And you see, if you went to their website, this is what you would see. As you scroll down, you would see the watch list. You would see the countries that are listed. Number one being North Korea. Did you know that? Maybe you could guess that. Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan. And it lists all these countries and you click on it, and you can even write that down, it's opendoorsusa.com, and you click on the watch list, you can click on any one of those countries, it gives you all kinds of information and statistics about the state of the persecution of Christians around the world today. And there's updated stories on there, updated to the minute on each one of those about what's going on in those countries. But yet, how do we respond to something like that. What does persecution mean to us here in America? There's also an organization called The Voice of the Martyrs. Here's their website. And this was started many years ago, I think back in the 60s or 70s, by a, a pastor who had been persecuted and imprisoned for his faith in another country. So he started this ministry to really educate and uh, empower and encourage churches around the world to support for and mostly to pray for those Christians who are being persecuted. At the end of this month, at the end of April, the Voice of the Martyrs is going to have a one-day conference right down the road here at our friends at Grace, Baptist, at Grace Bible Church. It's free. We have copies of this you can take on your way out. Take one, please. Take a couple. You can pass it around. There's information on the front and the back about this ministry. But it's free. You simply have to go on the website and register. But it's a Saturday, Saturday, April 22nd from 9 to 4. Take one of these flyers on your way out, and you can go in here. You can hear they have listed um, people that have been persecuted from Syria the Philippines, China, and others. So there will be speakers and, of course, many testimonies from that organization called Voice of the Martyrs. So take one, please. But that is at the end of this month, right down the road, at the church, Grace Bible Church, our friends there, are, um, are um, hosting this. And so it's another way to kind of go online and read about what's going on. But here... Here's where I came to in, in reading 
this passage that we're going to read in just a minute from Acts 14. As we continue to look at the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, their very first one, they face right away, they face persecution. But I often find it difficult, maybe you're, you're like me, but I find it difficult to read about persecution in the Scriptures and then kind of put it in my own context. What does that look like for me? I have certainly never experienced anything like my friends did in Pakistan. I've never experienced anything like you might hear at the Voice of the Martyrs Conference from people who have been jailed because of their faith. But yet, at the same time, I know that Jesus said, if you are my disciple, you will be persecuted. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though you're in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. This is the verse that Voice of the Martyrs uses as their, their, um, their main verse to kind of move them forward, their vision and their mission. But why are Christians persecuted? It is simply because Jesus was persecuted. But remember what we talked about last week. Now that we belong to Him, that we are associated with Christ, that we have taken upon ourselves His yoke, it means we are joined to Him and forever connected to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul warned us in 2 Timothy 3.12 that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Can I read that again for you? Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus said in John 15.20, if they persecuted Him, they will also persecute His followers. See, Jesus was clear. Those who are of the world will hate Christians because the world hates Christ. See, if us as, we as Christians, the church, if we are like the world, if we're vain, selfish, carnal, greedy, conceited, then the world would not oppose us because we're just like them. Right? Because we're no threat to them. We are no different. We would be just like them. But Christians, the Scriptures tell us, do not belong to this world. Which is why the world persecutes us. Look at John 15. We have a lot of Scriptures today. You can write down the references if you'd if you like, John 15, 18-19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. These are the words of Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Could our Lord make it any clearer? Right? See, Christians are influenced by different principles from those of the world. We're motivated by the love of Christ. By being holy because He is holy. But the world is driven by not the love of God, but the love of sin. See, it's our very separation from the world that brings about animosity and persecution of the church. 1 Peter 4, 1-4 since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, 
arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Right there he says, Christ suffered, so get ready, because you're going to suffer. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It's about living in the world or living in Christ. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. They live in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Isn't that interesting? That is First Peter 4, 1-4. Verse 4 again says, with respect to all of this and how they're living, they're surprised that we're not joining in in what he calls the same, I love these words, flood of debauchery. The world is surprised and they take notice if we are living as disciples of Jesus Christ. And he says the result is they malign us. It's within this context of persecution of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we're going to see unfold in the next two Sundays. But it's in the context of his persecution and the fact that he tells us that absolutely every one of his disciples will also be persecuted that we read our main text for today. So now we get there. Acts chapter 14, 1 through 20. I'm going to read it and then just give us a quick summary and talk about what this passage means to us as disciples of Christ who are told we will suffer persecution for Christ's sake. So this is Acts 14, 1-20. If you remember, we are still looking at the very first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. You remember that they were called from the church in Antioch? Uh, which kind of served as the missionary arm of the mother church in Jerusalem. They sent them out. They commissioned them because the Holy Spirit said they're going. And so they went. So Paul and Barnabas went. And they went out on this missionary journey to share the gospel, the good news, to Jew first, but also, of course, now to the Gentile. And you remember they went to Cyprus and they went on. And so here is now... Sort of, we're coming to the end of this very first missionary journey. You remember what happened at the end of, this is two weeks ago we covered, the end of chapter 13 when they shook the dust off their feet? Because there was violence and persecution. First, the gospel was opposed, but then when it turned violent, Jesus had instructed them to do that. Shake the dust off your feet, meaning that you have done your job, you have planted the seed and shared the gospel, you are now to move on. And they did that. And they moved on to Iconium. So this is where we pick up today. It says in Acts 14, Now at Iconium, so here they are, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both the Jews and the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews, they stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against The brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace. 
granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled. They fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in their language, Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called him Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, he brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and he wanted to offer a sacrifice along with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd, and they cried out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. See, in past generations, they went on to say, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and with gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city supposing even that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. He entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Now let me give you just a recap of this story of what we just read. There's a lot going on here, but basically what happened is, after they shook the dust off their feet in Pisidia, Antioch, where they were faced with a violent protest, they moved on, they went to Iconium. So in Iconium, both of them, it said, preached very effectively. And many, many people came to believe in the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection. See, but the unbelieving Jews there, the ones who didn't believe, they incited the Gentiles. Does this sound familiar? That happened to them last time. Incited the Gentiles against them. But because at the moment it hadn't yet turned violent, It says they stayed for a long time. See, they weren't ready to just give up and leave and shake the dust off their feet from Iconium as well. It said they stayed for a long time because there was opposition. And what did they do? They spoke boldly and performed signs and wonders. The Holy Spirit gave them miracles. Miracles to confirm their authority to proclaim the gospel. 
See, but what happened was this. When they, when they shared the gospel, it divided the city. It wasn't all joy. It divided the city. And when they heard that some were ready to stone them, and these protests were now turning violent, that's when they fled. And they went to the other cities of Lystra and Derby. Does that make sense? So they were in Iconium. There were some protests, but they spoke even more boldly, and they stayed longer. But then when those protests turned violent, and they heard that Paul was going to be stoned, they fled, and they went to Lystra, and they went to Derby. So here they continued to preach. But then an interesting thing happened to them there. It says when they got to Lystra, they met this lame man. Much like what happened with Peter in Acts chapter 3. Do you remember that? I mean, we're at 14 now. It was a long time ago. But do you remember that story when Peter, I believe it was John, walking into the, to the area and they went through the gate and there was a lame beggar? And remember it says Peter looked right at him and he knew he had faith to be healed and he healed him? It's the same thing that happens here. Because Paul looks right at him. He knew that he had faith that he could be healed. And so Paul calls him to stand up. And he's healed. But look at what happens. The reaction of the crowd. Isn't it interesting? They saw this miracle. And all of a sudden they said, these men are gods. You see, the people there in Lystra and in those other areas, in those cities, they believed in gods like Zeus and, and Hermes was another one who was sort of the messenger. That's why they called Paul. They were like, he's like Hermes and Barnabas is like Zeus. So they thought they were gods. But they were speaking in their own language. So at first, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't understand what was going on. Can you kind of picture it? There's this crazy wild scene and they're being called gods. And, and it's like the whole crowd is being stirred up to the point where the priest of these gods says, let's offer a sacrifice in their name. And so he brings the stuff to sacrifice. And then when Paul and Barnabas catch on to what's going on, first of all, they do what they're called to do as Jews is they tear their garment. It's what they were supposed to do whenever um, they were reacting against blasphemy. Blasphemy of the one true God. So they tore their garments and they ran to the crowd and say, why are you doing this? We're not gods. We're men just like you. And then they shared the simple gospel. And they shared it like we're going to see many times in Acts. They basically said, you can see God he created the rain for you and He gave you crops and look at the creation around you. But they basically said, you know what? These gods, Zeus, Hermes, these others that you're following, they're dead. What are they good for you? He says, stop following these, worship, these worthless idols, but follow the living God. You see that? He said, we know the living God. And He went on to tell them about it. So He said, we're not gods. But we are here to tell you about the one true God. So they needed to, to correct them and what they were doing. And so he did. Paul and Barnabas did just that. But then here's what happened next. Because the story doesn't end there. It's not happily ever after right there. What happened was, evidently, the Jews and the unbelieving Gentiles from Iconium. Remember the city they were just at? where they were preaching, and then the, the protests turned violent, and they heard that he was going to be stoned, and they left. Evidently, when they moved on to Lystra, those 
dissenters and unbelievers back in Iconium, they sent word. Remember it said that Paul and Barnabas stayed for a long time. So it's kind of happening, right, over the course of time. And so they basically rallied a bunch of people from different cities. It said from Iconium and Antioch, Pisidia, where they were, where they faced persecution. They got all those dissenters and they brought them to Lystra and said, come this way. They're here now. We need to protest against them here. And so it said that's exactly what happened. It says in verse 19, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, again, they riled up these crowds, they stoned Paul. So first, the people were in love with Paul and Barnabas. Hey, they're like gods. This is awesome. And people were believing. And let's worship them and offer sacrifices for them. But then the dissenters come, the protesters come, the violent ones come from Antioch, Pisidia, and they come from Iconium, and they persuade the crowds. They turn the crowds quickly against them. And it says in verse 19 and 20, they stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Do you see what happened? Paul was stoned almost to death. He was stoned to the point where they thought he was dead. They not only stoned him, they dragged him out of the city. Get out of our city. They stoned him to near death and they dragged him out of the city. But then in verse 20, it tells us the disciples, those new believers, the new converts that they had just led to the Lord, they gathered around him. They saw what happened. They couldn't stop it, but they gathered around him, lying there, probably looking like he was dead. Can you imagine what he would have looked like? They says they gather around him, and very simply it just says, not how, it just says, he rose up. And he entered, he went back into, the, it says they dragged him out of the city, thought he was dead. The believers gathered around him, you know they prayed, they called on God's healing, it says he rose up. And then he went back into the city. Isn't that awesome? He went back into the city. He didn't just get pushed around. He was stoned to near death. And God, in His gracious and merciful way, He rose him up. Right? He rose him up and He went back into the city. And then, He went on continuing to preach the Gospel with Barnabas. They went to Derby next. Can you imagine the scene? He's almost dead. But it says He rose up, got Himself together, went back into the city, got Barnabas, He said, where are we going next? Right? So that was Paul and his response to persecution. So again, I say, as I'm reading this and thinking through this and praying through this passage, like I'm thinking, God, I I don't know what that's like. What would have been going through Paul's mind when he was stoned almost to death and dragged dragged out of the city what was going through his mind was he worshiping the whole time was he i mean it's human right he felt shame he felt pain i mean not only physically but emotionally and mentally and spiritually what was going on inside of paul as he's being persecuted 
What would be going on in my mind? What would I think? So that's how we have to read passages like this, is we have to filter it through our our own context and ask God, how can I respond like this? What does persecution in my world, in my life, look like? I'd venture to say that none of us have ever experienced anything like this. Paul, you know, he went on to mention these events in other of his writings. It's interesting to note, <coughs> in second, excuse me, 2 Corinthians eleven, twenty-five. he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's what he said. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. But then listen to what he says in 2 Timothy. Just listen to the words. 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 12. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium. This is him writing to Timothy, and he's talking about at Antioch, Iconium, and at Lystra. He said, Persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Just like Paul, right? Bringing it all back to the Lord. Not complaining, but saying the Lord rescued me. We were singing those those very words earlier. How the Lord has rescued us. Verse 12 in that passage says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what we read earlier. Please notice one more thing in in this story. Did you notice how the crowds in Lystra were so taken with Paul and Barnabas and the miracle of healing the lame man, how quickly they said, they're like gods. They're like gods and they wanted to, to worship them. But then all it took was for the Jews and the unbelieving Gentiles to get another crowd together. And it said, it stirred them up And now all of a sudden, they went and they stoned him. It was the same crowd. The same crowd that a few days earlier had said they're like gods and wanted to worship them. Now they stoned him and wanted to kill him and they dragged him out of the city. It reminds me of what we're going to look at next week and the week after. How easily people are swayed by the enemy of the church, by our enemy, Satan himself, the one who is called the ruler of this world, the God of this age. The one who is guiding and directing this world system that is directly opposed to our God, the one true living God. So just like what happened here, we see that happen in the Lord's life. Next week on Palm Sunday, we're going to see How he was riding into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. He was hailed as king. Do you remember what they shouted on his way into Jerusalem? Hosanna. Hosanna. And that means save us. It means deliver us. We know you can do it. You're the one. You're the king. And they laid down their garments and palms for him to make his way easy. But less than a week later, the very same crowds yelled, Crucify Him. 
Crucify Him. Crucify Him. The tremendous welcome that He received as He entered that city then turned to an unthinkable persecution that He endured less than a week later. He did that for us. And as His followers, the Scriptures tell us, and this story in Acts is no different, just another example, that we should also expect the persecution of the world. Paul and Barnabas, they give us a great example of how to press on in the face of persecution. Paul was almost killed, but it said he rose up, he went back into the city, and then he went with Barnabas and continued to preach the gospel. And if you continue reading the rest of 14, which we'll get to in a few weeks, it says they were very successful when they went to Derby, and many believed in that city. But we need to also remember the example that Christ left us. So think about the story that we just read of Paul and Barnabas and Paul being stoned, but then also the events that happened during Passion Week when Jesus rode into the city, but then faced the persecution. 1 Peter 2.23 says this, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So our call, how are we to respond to persecution whenever that may come up in our life as a disciple of Christ? We are to be just like the Master. When He was reviled, He didn't revile in return. When He suffered, He didn't threaten. But what did He do? He simply continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He said basically the battle belongs to the Lord. He gave it up to God. And that is the example we are to follow. But let us always remember, friends, that Jesus said many times that because the world hated Him, the world will hate us. So what does persecution look like to us? I'd venture to say that most of us, if not all of us, will probably never experience having a church bombed having friends killed in a church bombing, being stoned almost to death like Paul was. But we will face persecution. Perhaps it's when you share your faith with a family member and you're cut off from your family. Or you lose friendships or even close relationships with family members, brothers, sisters, parents, maybe even a spouse. Because you're standing up for what you believe in. Perhaps it's being ridiculed at work or being labeled the crazy Jesus freak. Who knows what that looks like in our lives. But yet we will undoubtedly face persecution from the world. It happens when the world, it says in the verses we read, is surprised that we don't join in because we're looked at as foolish or simple We see it all the time. But we know that Christ says, you will be persecuted because I am persecuted. And why? It's because we're joined with Him, forever joined with Christ. We have taken out His yoke, His easy yoke, 
and allowed him to put it on us that we are forever joined with him. It says we are part of his family now. We were singing that earlier, right? That we are joined with Christ in his suffering, but also in his resurrection, that we have new life because of him. In just a moment, we're going to be able to remember the Lord's suffering and death with the Lord's Supper, with the Lord's table. We call it communion. And what does that mean? It means that we commune with Him. What does that mean? It means that we are forever joined with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we put our faith and trust in Him and are believers in His death and resurrection for our eternal life and the forgiveness of our sins, and then we make that commitment to be His disciples and to do what He said, to deny ourselves, to take upon ourselves our own cross and follow Him all the way to the cross and remember that our death and life is connected to His death and resurrection. We get to do that. That's what we do in our communion time together. We do it once a month here at Trinity and we do it as a family in remembrance of Him, in remembrance of what He did. Let me pray for us and then we're going to move into our time of remembering Christ and His sacrifice by taking of the bread and the cup together. You'll have the opportunity for some time just to contemplate and uh, to think about your current relationship with the Lord and where does that stand? And what does it look like to you to know that He died in your place and suffered persecution and shame and torture on your behalf? How is it that we give Him thanks? And how do we remember that? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, the power of Your Word. But God, now as we remember the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate price that was paid by our Lord Jesus Christ on that cross. Father God, help us to to truly understand just a little bit more of what that meant. What would have been going through His mind when You allowed that to happen to Him? Father, may we never forget Christ's suffering on the cross on our behalf that we would always be willing to give up our life to Him because He gave up His life for us. We're asking this in His name. Amen.